It is a Christian obligation to pursue wisdom, to pursue skillful living. It is an obligation for us to grasp and be grounded in the gospel. Every week we, we show up and we rehearse the truths of the gospel and it's oh so important to do so. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part five of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs, a 12-part study in the book of Proverbs from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor Paul's text is the ninth chapter of the book of Proverbs. Its subtitle is A Tale of Two Feasts. Two Feasts, book end, chapter nine. The feast presented by Lady Wisdom is verses one through seven and it is opposed by the Feast of the Woman of Folly in verses 13 through 18. And by their names, the listener can tell which feast we should avoid, but in real life, rejecting this invitation is always difficult. All of us receive both invitations during our lives, but these hostesses are really seeking the simple. For a simple person is neither wise or foolish yet just as naive and untested with life's challenges and temptations. Proverbs will say much about a fool, for a fool will knowingly attend the woman of folly's feast. We learn in Proverbs that a fool despises wisdom, while the simple is not yet sure what wisdom looks like. Here's part five of Skillful Living, introducing Proverbs. I have a friend who built his house. It took him a very long time. It was a long and slow process. He told me that it was so slow at one point that he set himself the goal of just ticking off one, one thing a day. If he could just complete one thing in the building of the house, however small that might be, then he knew that he was making progress in the right direction. It was a long process, but now as you look at the finished house, it is a house that boasts of skill, of craftsmanship, attention to detail, of excellence. And that is the thought here in the first verse. Wisdom, her house, did not go up in a day. Nine chapters it has taken to get here. It has been carefully constructed and fashioned. The seven pillars may speak of perfection. It may infer the size of the house. In ancient Israel, you would find houses that would typically have three pillars as you walked into the the banquet hall. To have seven would mean this is an exceptionally large house. It may imply that there's room enough for everybody. As we peer inside the house, we see that wisdom's diligence and discipline and attention to detail has carried on. Verse 2, she has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Wisdom has slaughtered the fattened calf for us. She has mixed her very best wine for us. She has mixed it, probably a reference to to adding something sweet like honey. She has laid the table. The tablecloth is, is white and crisp. The silverware is polished and shiny. 
Every place setting is, is perfectly laid and identical to the one beside it. Solomon here is creating a very vivid picture that is, is supposed to appeal to our senses so as to convince us to show up to this feast. In fact, even as you read verse 2, as you read it in the original language, what you see is a craftsmanship on Solomon's part, a precision, as every single word ends with the same sound. So he's been very intentional as he's picked his words, such that when this poem is read aloud, it results in a delightful sound to the ear of the hearer. And then in the final stage of the exposition, verse 3, the sages are sent out. The agents of wisdom go out into the town. They have the authority to speak on behalf of Lady Wisdom, such that anyone who hears them is effectively receiving a personal invite from Lady Wisdom herself. And notice they go to the highest places in the town. They go there so that they would get the greatest attention. Everybody needs to hear this message. They're not going to hide away. They're not going to pick a discreet spot. They go to the highest places in the town. The invite is applicable to all and it is needed by all. This feast is in no way exclusive. It is not simply for the noblemen and the noblewomen, but it is given to all. So the summary of the picture that we find in these first three verses is one of beauty, one of elegance. We see a finely crafted house within which there is a rich banquet, and it is a picture of availability. We could pause there and note that immediately we, the reader, are confronted with a question. And the question is whether this scene in any way provokes your interest. Do you find that there is any inclination of your heart to pursue the feast of wisdom? We've all received special invites before. I remember some years ago receiving a very special invitation. It was to a birthday dinner, and it was from a young lady named Laura Campbell. She now goes by the name Laura Twist just to let you know the story ends well. <laughs> we had met only a few months prior, both freshmen at university, and she had stolen the affections of my heart. And I was desperately trying to think out how to get to know her better, to spend time with her. And then on this particular day, there was an invitation in my mailbox to a birthday dinner. Whatever was happening that day, it was now off. Whatever I had on my schedule, it was now cancelled. Whatever the invitation said about dress code, I would be wearing a suit. <laughs> and whatever she said about no presents, please, I would be bringing a very special gift. It was a special invitation to me. Proverbs 9 is an open invitation, but please understand this is a very special invitation. You are on the guest list. And the question is whether you care whether you are inclined at all to show up? Are you seeking to participate in this feast? Put more bluntly, is there any pursuit of excellence in your life? Is there any desire to grow in wisdom, relationally, morally, spiritually? It is quite possible that you don't have affections for wisdom, for skillful living. Maybe life is just so busy 
There are so many obligations, so many responsibilities that are set before you, and you just don't have the time to even think about how you might grow in the area of wisdom. That is why we're thankful for the insistence of Lady Wisdom. We're thankful that she is adamant that we partake in the feast. Moving on, look at verse 4 through 6, where she issues the invitation, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come. There is a real urgency to the invitation. Come and eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. She's saying, you must come to my feast, even if you don't think you want to. It is a Christian obligation to pursue wisdom, to pursue skillful living. It is an obligation for us to grasp and be grounded in the gospel. Every week we, we show up and we rehearse the truths of the gospel and it's oh so important to do so. It is a Christian responsibility to know sound doctrine, to grow in our knowledge of the truth. And that's another thing that we do is we come together as the people of God. But it's also an obligation of ours to pursue skillful living, to think about those gray areas and to how we might excel in them. Again, notice that the simple person is in view. Whoever is simple. Now, we met this character last week in the introduction to the book. There are many characters in the book of Proverbs. The simple is just one of them. And just to, to repeat the thought of last week, the simple is not the fool. They're two different characters in this book. The fool is hard-hearted, and he is intentionally turned away from the way of wisdom. He's turning his back on it knowingly and pursuing folly. The simple, by contrast, is the gullible. He's impressionable, he's naive, he doesn't know any better. He's not hard-hearted, he is innocent, and he needs educating. He has not begun the pursuit of wisdom, far less has he mastered it. He hasn't yet attained to excellence, as it is defined by this book, and he most certainly has something to learn. The exhortation, again, is to show up. Wherever you are as a Christian in your pursuit of wisdom, however skillfully you are able to navigate the contours of life, understand that you have more to learn and that God wants you to learn more. Pursue excellence. I'm reminded of Solomon in Ecclesiastes where he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might the what of your life is not in view there. He's not asking questions of what you choose to do, but whatever it is you find to do, do it well. Pick something and be excellent at it because it honors the Lord. Notice the pursuit of wisdom, the acceptance of this invitation involves a turning. Leave your simple ways and live. Verse 4, let him turn in here. The pursuit of excellence, however it may look in the, the details of your life, will always involve turning away from something. Or at the very least, you would say it would involve an intentional pursuit. 
The acquisition of God-honoring wisdom, it doesn't just happen. Don't think that if you are in Christ, you will simply just be wise. There are many foolish Christians who have not learned how to live skillfully in the gray areas. The teaching of Proverbs is clear from beginning to end. You need to seek out wisdom. Too many Christians drift. They float around, not really pursuing anything. The pursuit of skillful living is always a disciplined and a rigorous pursuit. But it is worth it. It is worth it because, look, you get to show up and partake of the feast. Wisdom. The book of Proverbs sets out the reward of wisdom as wisdom. Read this book and see that the reward of wisdom is wisdom because it is delightful. Here is a feast that will inform your worldview. Here is a feast that will instruct your way of thinking. Here is a feast which if you choose to give yourself to it, it will help you make good decisions. It equips you to excel. And more than that, look at verse 6, more than that even, here is a feast that will lead you unto life. To pursue wisdom ultimately is to live. Now there, you may be somewhat surprised. It seems like a very high reward. And I just said that Proverbs is all about pursuing Excellence in the gray area is not fundamentally about issues of sin and, and righteousness. And Solomon is here saying, pursue this feast and you will live. How can he set forth such a high reward? Again, the answer is that Proverbs continually makes a connection between wisdom and righteousness. Or to put it another way, there is a particular relationship in this book that is always being explored, and it is the relationship of thought to action, to destiny. Note that relationship because Proverbs is always teasing and probing the particulars and the dynamics of that one connection from, from thought to action to destiny. What you think leads to what you do. And what you do sets a trajectory that results in a particular destiny. J.C. Ryle wrote about this in his small book, Thoughts for Young Men. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It could just be called Thoughts for People. He said, what young men will be, in all probability, depends on what they are now. What young men will be, at the end of their life, on the day of judgment, when they stand before their maker, what they will be on that day most probably depends on what they are today. The point is, we are all of us setting trajectories that end with a particular destiny that is in complete accordance with the, the trajectory that we chose. Our thoughts lead to actions, and our actions lead to destiny. One good decision, one skillful decision, one excellent choice, it sets you up for a second excellent choice. It means you are now positioned and more likely to make a second good decision. And having made that, you are now in a spot to make a third good choice. 
And so very quickly, the pursuit of excellence becomes habitual. It starts to characterize your whole life. And exactly the same is true of folly. And as you pursue excellence and wisdom, that then starts to act as a guardrail. Elsewhere in Proverbs, wisdom is is spoken about as being protective of you. It's secure. It puts you in a path that keeps you far from folly and even further from sin. So Solomon says, choose this feast and you will ultimately choose life. Friends, you need to see the value of this feast. You have to see the beauty of the house, the value of the meal. Not one of us can afford to turn down this invitation. This is not an invite that we can leave pinned to the fridge to which we never RSVP. God has called you to live with excellence. That is how we honor him in the gray areas, how we live skillfully. And most of life is made up of those gray areas. So we have to show up to this meal. Now, what does that look like, practically speaking? I think it means you take time to understand the wisdom that is in, yes, Proverbs, and indeed all of the scriptures. You take time to understand it, and you think through how it intersects with the particulars of your life. You learn what the Proverbs have to say about money and friendships and love and work. You take those principles, and you set them to work in your life. And then I think... It also means that we acknowledge the other sources of godly wisdom that have been put in our life, namely godly parents, friends, counselors, elders. You listen, you submit, you humble yourself to the counsel that's given to you, and you seek to apply it. That is what it looks like to say yes to this invitation. Now, I realize that even as I say that, there will be some here who won't respond in such a way. And that is why Solomon gives us the middle portion of this poem, moving on to the second point now. I've called it the reader's interlude. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. This portion of the poem seems to interrupt the flow, the word picture of the feast that is being painted for us. Some critical scholars would say, you know, this portion was just added later. It was written by somebody else. It doesn't really fit. You need to understand the nature of Hebrew poetry. That is what we're reading here. When you read narrative, think of Old Testament narrative, the connections between one verse and the next are often made explicit for us. So as the reader, we are led on. We're told uh, Moses did this and then he did this. And because of this, he did this. So the connections between thoughts are always explained. When you get to Old Testament poetry, it is inherently by nature quite terse, which means as you move from one thought to the next, the connection is not necessarily explained. That's why the Proverbs read the way they do. The mistake would be to assume that there is no relationship between them. I think here there is a relationship. Solomon is pausing before he introduces us to the feast of Lady Folly. He pauses. He turns the camera on 
the audience, the reader. He turns the camera on you and on me, and he provokes us to examine ourselves, to consider the state of our hearts and whether we would indeed receive the invitation just issued by Lady Wisdom. The thought conveyed in verses 7 through 12 is very simple. The thought is that to invite a scoffer is a waste because they do not fear the Lord. The scoffer or the mocker will not humble himself. He will laugh. He will ridicule anybody that seeks to speak wisdom into their life. Indeed, it says in verse 7 that he would even respond with abuse, be it verbal or physical, Do not reprove a scoffer, verse 8. He will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. By contrast, the wise man will receive the wisdom you seek to speak into his life. If you give that wise man instruction, verse 9, he'll grow in wisdom. He'll increase in learning. And so, again, as the reader, we're confronted with a question, simply stated, which are you? Are you willing to receive correction? Are you willing to receive a rebuke? Are you willing to hear it when somebody looks at your life and says, I don't think you're being very wise? You need to grow in this area. Now, we could ask the question at an even more fundamental level than that, because that is where the text drives us. Verse 10, do you fear the Lord? Ultimately, that is the difference between the scoffer and the wise man. Solomon boils it down to a fear of the Lord, to knowledge of the Holy One. The fear of the Lord, most simply put, is obedience to his revealed will. Now, the reason I argued it that way, it is a sense of awe. It is a sense of reverence. It is an acknowledgement of his character. All of those things are true, but it's not merely those things. It has to go beyond that. When you look at this phrase, the fear of the Lord, elsewhere, especially in the wisdom literature and in the Psalms, it is often in parallel with another phrase that talks about obedience, an active pursuit of submission to the law. So Job 28, 28, you don't have to turn there. The thought is that the fear of the Lord is parallel with turning away from evil. The two sit together. You turn away from evil and you fear the Lord. The implication is that to fear the Lord is to obey his will. Psalm 19, another example where we read about the law of the Lord being perfect, the precepts of the Lord being right, the commandments of the Lord being pure, and then the fear of the Lord as clean. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. We heard from verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn here. Lady Wisdom seeks to attract the simple to her feast, so they will walk in the way of insight. The simple will otherwise be led to the feast of the woman of folly. Pastor Paul pictured for us King Solomon sitting with his son, begging him to take the gray areas of life seriously, urging him onto the path of wisdom like this, quote, the pursuit of excellence. However it may look in the details of your life will always involve turning away from something." We learned that a godly life must be intentional, for passivity can be devastating for the simple, the young, and naive. 
Christians have Holy Spirit guidance, leading us to follow wisdom contained in God's Holy Scriptures, Old and New Testaments. How do you follow God in wise living? Find out more at our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. Select Broadcasts. There you'll find an abundance of teaching to help you in our free audio archives. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If this program has a positive impact on your walk with Jesus, will you consider making a financial gift to be part of this gospel outreach ministry? On our homepage, timelesstruthtoday.org, simply select Donate to make your gift of any amount. Thank you for your consideration. Join us tomorrow for part six of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs to Feed on God's Word. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.